one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down Twelfth Field, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. We had hoped to be speaking to you today as World Refugee Day Fair Play Cup Champions 2015, but in true England at a major tournament style, we laboured through the group stages and got knocked out in a heroic quarterfinal penalty shootout defeat, beaten by a team from Mosny who were physically imposing and incredibly nice and friendly in equal measure. Uh, Murph, who would you? Um, who would have thought that penalty shootouts? Could be so heartbreaking and nerve wracking. I know, and I know. Um, I suppose I should take ownership of my shame. I was one of the the penalty takers. I was one of the I was one of the the penalty take uh, penalty missers as well. I mean, uh, there were three penalties in the penalty shootout. It wasn't a five uh, uh, five goals a five penalty penalty shootout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie Sadler took our first. <laughs> Unsurprisingly scored, carrying the weight of the team yeah. on his shoulders for the entire tournament as he did. I, Stuart pierced it. I had my penalty saved. And then Colin McKeown, uh, TV researcher and all-around second captain's hero, uh, Chris Waddle, I missed the target entirely. <laughs> so, uh, it, and Big it was crowd ha- watching as well. We should mention this. That as soon as there was a penalty shootout on the adjoining pitch, and as soon as that one ended, people just started flocking over. There was a m- massive support... Uh, for a lot of teams out there, we had a, a small but loud uh, group of supporters, about 10 yeah. in total. Some of the other teams seemed to have about 100 supporting yeah. them, which, which I must say was well, difficult to play in. When you Quite got... intimidating for wieners like myself and yourself. Though. Yeah, and they weren't even, it wasn't like there was any disrespe- disrespectful booing of the other team. It was just they were cheering their own team so loudly, <laughs> it freaked us out a little bit. Full-throated support of their team was yeah. enough to freak us out. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, there was. There was a big crowd. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I got spooked by their goalkeeper. He was doing some Bruce Grabble-esque moving cross oh, I noticed on the goal that, yeah. line. 
And I have I, I took penalties for years in Gaelic football, and I had a place in the goal that I took. I put every single one of my penalties. I put that, and then because of the goalkeepers moving, like right up until the moment I kicked the ball, I was fully sure where I was kicking the ball. And then I saw him so far over to decide that I was... Oh, he gave you the entire it. side of the goal yeah. to aim at. I was like, right. I, if I kick it at him, I'm going to look like an idiot because the whole rest of the goal was free. <laughs> so at that split second, and that's why I'm so annoyed at myself. If I had hit a good penalty where I was going to kick it, I, w- I would be able to say, well, at least I didn't completely freeze and do something stupid. I heard Owen Hargreaves on the on BBC Radio 5 Live's documentary they did on a programme they did on penalties before the World Cup uh, last year and his precise argument and advice to anybody was to do what you didn't do to do what you used to do and back yourself doesn't literally doesn't matter if the goalkeeper's standing in that top corner just go for it because that's what you know that's what you have to do and he hit an absolute peach in the Champions League final I don't I assume he probably hasn't missed many penalties well this, this is great advice the day after <laughs> I really needed to hear it on that's, that's brilliant thank you for uh, that. Shane Kerr we must say was doing a, a, there were a few antics uh, on his mm. behalf as well he was in goals for us and he was trying to psych out the opposition who he kept handing the ball very slowly to yeah. the penalty taker and then walking backwards doing the jelly legs Everything. And he saved one. Saved the first and the second two were unstoppable. I yeah. had, I, there was no way in my head that Shane Curran was getting beaten. After he'd saved the first one, it was like, Richie scored his. It actually doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, Shane Curran is 100% saving these three penalties because he's brilliant. Like, it is actually... It, it was... Obviously, Richie Sadler is extremely good at football. But it was actually an education to see a goalkeeper playing in goals who's obviously been doing it for about 25 years and... You know the and has gloves. You know most lads in five side don't actually have the gloves. Yeah, he he had actually he had in many ways perfected the art of goalkeeping after thirty years of doing it. Our tactical approach, I should mention here, uh, shifted as the tournament progressed. Mm. It, it evolved. It evolved. Yeah, it <laughs> it regressed. It could be said <laughs> a lot of nifty midfield play early on uh, gave way to the Shane Kerr and long ball to Richie Sadler and play off the big lad approach. Yeah. Problem with that was you need a lot of runners in midfield to get up to that big lad mm. up top. So you're kind of relying on Richie just to hold very accurate passes from Shane. Richie would head a ball against two defenders to himself, control it on the chest, have two more touches, wait for the cavalry to slowly trudge up. Uh, ultimately, it, it wasn't was quite really, enough. It was depressing, actually, is what it was. When you look back at it, it was depressing. Because I've spent my entire, entirely inglorious uh, five-a-side career People, if people are kicking the ball to me and it's above knee height, I'm like, well, I'm sorry. How the hell was I supposed to control that? I mean, you're kicking it directly at my head and I'm supposed to be able to do something with this? Are you kidding me? Whereas Richie would somehow, in, somehow control the ball, hold off three burly defenders and bring us into the game. <laughs> I wouldn't say she apologised to me for a poorly placed header as I was running down the right-hand <laughs> side. Literally, it was maybe a foot too far and I think I got tackled into touch or something. So, oh, sorry about that header. I was thinking, what? That was genius. <laughs> you, managed to, you managed to look a certain way and head it that way. I've never, I've yeah. never seen such... I've literally never seen that before. Really. I was a cracking tournament. Uh, was put on for, as I mentioned, World Refugee Day by the UNHCR and by Sari, Sport Against Racism Ireland. Perry Ogden is their chairman. Sari's chairman. He's going to pop into studio to not talk too much about our performance 
but to chat about the work they do in using sport. Uh, it's really good stuff. They, they use sport basically to bring people together from different backgrounds. They give especially young people who arrive in Ireland a chance to get involved, to feel welcome, to integrate into Irish society. And one young man who's done that is Aziz, Aziz Youssef. He'll be here as well. Aziz played for Shamrock Rovers under-18s last season. He came to Ireland from Nigeria as a kid and faced all the challenges that go along with that. So we'll get into that momentarily. Copa America later on with Jonathan Wilson in Santiago. And a blast from the past has emerged in the latter end of the group stage, Murph, in that tournament. Well, yeah. I mean, Rubinho is playing for Brazil again. <laughs> and he's only 31. So we shouldn't be that surprised that, uh, that he's uh, at that level. But it just seems... You know, you, you kind of walk past you know, uh, a poster for a gig and you literally can't believe that that band are still pl- are still playing, that they're still touring. I mean, I walked past the Gaiety Theatre there uh, last week. June Rogers has a show at the <laughs> Gaiety Theatre. Yeah. And uh, I'm just like, that's... How is that, how is that happening? I, I don't know what year it is. I mean, it, it can't be. But I mean, of course, I should have known. You know, June is still a star of Funny Fridays on Liveline. Uh, she loves these appearances. I, I obviously googled the second I saw June Rogers was uh, was back on stage. Uh, listeners of Joe Duffy's Lifeline will be very familiar with June's regular featured spot. On Fr- I love the Funny Friday shows. June admits. Admits. <laughs> <laughs> you should be admit. Well, I mean, I would. I would be admitting. June pleads guilty. That. Yeah, but uh, especially when we do them at live venues around the country. So uh, she is. She is. She, uh, I, oh no! The, the run has just finished. Oh my god! I, I actually, it was the fifteenth of June to the twentieth of well, June. Well, don't so. tell my mum. I never knew that. My mum said to me, uh, "I don't know why we were talking about June Rogers, but she says to me, 'I'm, I'm.'" Uh, she whispered, conspiratorially. She admitted. She admitted. <laughs> I'm actually. Yeah, I'm a bit of a June Rogers. She goes, "I get slagged about this, but I'm a June Rogers fan." <laughs> I worried more for the people who would bother slagging somebody for being a June Rogers fan mm. than the. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the, the 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 list of characters that she plays on the stage show. International Man of Espionage, Oliver Bond. Uh, Kylie Minogue, if you've never seen her before. A Ricky Martin impersonator with a Wicklow accent. And a host of June's other characters. Sorry, what was that last one? Well, it's a Ricky Martin impersonator with a Wicklow accent. Which would lead me to to think that the Ricky Martin impersonation isn't very good then. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like saying, I can do a really good, you know... Daniel Craig impersonation with a Galway accent. <laughs> that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, does it? So who are we talking about? Rubinho or later on with... June or, Rogers. Or June, June Rogers' chat with Jonathan, Jonathan Wilson. Wilson is also... He's, he's, uh, he's a delight when you get him talking about the Irish variety uh, scene. So that should be fun. Perry Ogden is chairman of Sarri and Aziz Youssef, who uh, well, he would have been playing uh, for the Sarri team yesterday, but for injury, he was coaching them instead. Lads, you're both very welcome, first of all. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. much. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about what Sarri is, first of all, Perry, and what you guys do. Sarri is Sport Against Racism Ireland. It was set up in 1997, really to combat racism and promote integration and social inclusion, particularly of ethnic minorities. How do you go about doing that? Because that's clearly a great uh, objective to have, but how, how practically how does that work? We think that sport is a fantastic tool to help break down barriers and bring people together. And we started off uh, with football, and we've expanded now to other games, cricket, uh, Gaelic football, um, all sorts of sports, badminton. But football still seems to be the main one, and it's the easiest one in terms of ethnic minorities and people coming into the country. Everybody wants to play football, it would seem. I'd say that was the case with you. What is your own story, Aziz? When did you first... You're from Nigeria originally? Yeah, I'm from Nigeria originally. Um, 
I was, when I came to Ireland, okay, it was a little bit boring for me. Right. So I met a guy, um, Abdul. He's a youth leader with Sari now as well. I'm um, Abdul Aji. Like, he came to my house. They went to Serbia with Sari. Like, I don't know anything about Sari before. And mm. he came to my house. He was like, oh, look, this is a fantastic opportunity. Just come and play football. Lots of different background people. Like, you can learn more about football because I couldn't play football before. But I went to join um, Sari and... I just did not look back because it's just fantastic. Like, you can see everyone happy about it. Like, football, you just get everyone together. That's what struck so. me, yeah. Absolutely, that's what struck me yesterday. You know, we played this game. We were beaten on penalties. Uh, Kieran doesn't want to talk about this because he missed one of the penalties. <laughs> 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 but we were beaten by uh, a team from Mosny uh, in the in the quarterfinals. And straight away afterwards, everybody's hugging each other and talking and interacting in a way that it's hard to manufacture that socially maybe sometimes, but football can do that and sport can do that. Well, I think there was a fantastic spirit yesterday, and you guys definitely contributed towards that. It's not always the case. There have been some incidents, as happens in football, and everyone gets highly competitive. But yesterday, I think, really stood out as a fantastic day. Aziz, you said you, d- you didn't play football before. No. And what age were you when you arrived um, in Ireland? I came here in 2006, so I was 11 years old. Okay. So, I mean, nine years now in Ireland. So well, you, you got very good very quickly, because you yeah, played for um, Shamrock Rovers yeah, under 18s. Yeah, um, Shamrock Rovers, the B team. So... What happened is, I told you I was bored at home. So, like, after joining Sari, I see, okay, I, I can pick up football much easier because everyone, like, like, training twice a week in O'Connor, O'Connor skill. So, it's just brilliant for me. So, I just learn a lot every single time. Um, I just go training. I just put all the effort in. And I'm really glad where, where it got me. I know it's with Shaman Clovers. Yeah. Because I, I suppose I'm a uh, Shaman Clovers. And when I, I signed a contract with them, I was just like, wow. Yeah, well, a lot of us started at an earlier That's age, mad. and we, none of us played for Shamrock Rovers, <laughs> it's true, I, I have to say. Oh, uh, look, hard work pays off. Yeah. I, I just, as I always say to myself, just work hard and you'll get whatever you want. So, Did, Has it helped you, uh, particularly in those early years when you're over in a new country and you might not know anybody, did it help you to integrate, to, oh, to feel definitely. more Irish? That's the, that's the, mo- uh, the most important thing, definitely, because I would just want to know more people. Because with Sari, like, it's not just Irish people, it's not just African people, Asian people, it's just all mixed together. Mm. So it's ju- you're just learning a lot. And you can see my English is a little bit messed up. Oh, that's great. I learned I from like, people around me because I couldn't speak English when I came here. It was life difficult for you oh, at first, was it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, but with football, it's just the integration that you can get from it. It's just fantastic, I think. What sort so. of pro- what sort of programs do you have? How, how do you get uh, the likes of Aziz here involved? Because it's, I, I'm amazed that Aziz didn't play football, comes over to Ireland, is struggling to, to to make it a new country, and then hears about you guys and, and it goes all the way to Shamrock Rovers. Obviously, not everyone's going to play for Shamrock Rovers, but how do you get people? How do you spread the word and get people involved like that? Um, I guess our main ongoing program is Soccer Nights, which at the moment is is every Friday night. And um, we spread the word through schools, through youth clubs, online, social media. And what happens is that we've got a group, maybe about 20 to 30 kids at the moment. Yeah. And Aziz is, is coaching. Yeah. He's gone up to coach now because our main coach, Zubi Ufo, who had coached you, uh, has gone to the States. And these kids get a great opportunity with different tournaments around Ireland, but they also get trips. So Soccer Night started in 20, 2009 uh, in the lead-up to the Football for Hope tournament at the World Cup in South Africa in 2010, uh, where we took a team of four boys and four girls. And we've been to other tournaments in Serbia, European Street Football Festival, that some of the lads went to that uh, Aziz knows. And 
they're just great opportunities to then meet people from all over Europe, all over the world, who may be in a similar situation and uh, who love playing football. And it's not just about, you know, becoming a great player. That's just a few, a few of us of course. get that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Myself and yourself, <laughs> Harry. <Yeah. laughs> um, that we all had our dreams. Uh, but, you know, one or two will. And, and the rest are just, you know, very keen, like us, to yeah. play as much as they can. The travel element sounds great, that you get to go away with teams also, play international that, tournaments. That's what got me. Um, really? The first time I heard about it, just, um, I told you, Abdul Haji, they're like, I'm just back from Serbia. I was like, what? I'm just back in the, oh, I'm just in the country. I'd love to go away because <laughs> <laughs> I was brought at home. So definitely. And like, with Tien Abosai's this, he, they take you to some places that you, like, I wasn't confident, like talking to people before, okay? We went to Crow Park. There was a program on over there. So there's lots of organisation that you have to pick a group where you have you haven't seen anyone before. So you still have to talk to them. Right. You have to talk about what salary do like what you and you talk about what the other um, organisation. So you're do. sitting in front of the group yeah, talking see, about this, this group which is which is nerve wracking for oh, a lot of people. Try, yeah, that's yeah. my first. I couldn't speak out before. But we saw it definitely. That gave me a little bit of confidence. Like I'm not even lying about this. Like that gave me a little confidence because on that day I was just like this on the chair, just shaking. <laughs> um, but like when it was over, I was like, yeah, I can do this. All right, yeah. I can uh, just speak out and stop being afraid of myself. Just being just squeezy. But now uh, I, I thank God that um, I joined Sari definitely. Have and you, yeah, have you in playing football? Have you encountered any racist issues? Have you ever been had any abuse? Yeah. Oh, when I was uh, playing schoolboy, um, schoolboy with Cromlin, yeah, once, okay. But like, I, I'm that kind of people that I don't really care to be honest. Like, you, did, you didn't get angry. You just no, thought, like, reflected more on that yeah, person than exactly, on you, maybe. Like, yeah. I just smile at them, and at the end of the match, I told um, the referee and the manager, and they deal with it, like. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I know it is really bad, but I just let it go. Just, look, you don't need that. Even shake hands at the end of the match. You don't need to be saying that. You, did, you, did, you did shake hands at the Definitely. end? Definitely. Like, that's just me. Yeah. Like We're all different, but that's me. I'll shake hands, and at the end, I'll tell the manager, this is what happens, and you deal with him. And if they need me, I'll then I'll talk to them then. Perry, what are the big challenges that you face? You know, racism is definitely out there. It's in games, it's on the street, uh, it's endemic in society, but it's not just in Ireland, it's all over the world. And I think that um, education is the key because one, one of the problems is just this whole concept of race, which is a European invention, and what does it really mean? Yeah. So by, by um, educating people about where these ideas come from, is helping to break down barriers. We run schools programs, and if you go into a school, be it a secondary school or a primary school, and ask them to write down how many races there are and what they think they are, they, they, what they think they are, you'll be uh, shocked by the numbers that have been put down on paper and some of the ideas that exist within these kids' minds. So, you know, I think that um, it, it's it's a big challenge, but it's something with more education. Definitely. Um, it can be and, and using sport as a tool to break down these barriers and bring the different people together. Uh, it can be it can be um, resolved. It sounds like it's a very it's a slow process, but it, the, education is key. As is, you're nodding along there as Perry was talking. If you can educate kids, definitely. If you can, that's the right like, way to go about it. What I think is like my little brother now. Okay, like he, he was born over here. Okay, but. 
see when he goes to school, okay? You see the white kids, Asian kids, doesn't matter, okay? They play along. And when they grow up, you won't be like, oh, you're, uh, you're this, you're that. Like, not, you grow up together. So they won't even think about the race or anything. We're the same thing. Just the colour is different, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But once you uh, educate people from, like, young kids, I think they're just going to grow up and the racism will be dying off a little bit. There will be racism, we can just try to stop it and just reduce it. So that's what I just think, so. Do you feel uh, very much that Ireland is your home now? And Definitely, to uh, be honest. And uh, when did that happen? You said you were 11 when you came over. Yeah. So you've been over, say, seven or eight years now. Nine years now, yeah. N- nine, years nine years now. Yeah, I haven't gone back home, so I don't even know how home looks like now. Really? <laughs> like, no. So, like, uh, to be honest, Ireland is my home now. Like, I can't say anything. Like, back home, okay, I grew up over there. I do miss it, but... I've been here for nine years now, and this way I learned most of the things now. So it's just totally different from back home now. Like if I go back home, I'll, I'll say I'm going to be lost. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. And even um, my all my parents are going back home this summer, like every single one in my family. But I'm not going because I have to do something, youth search. Like I'm doing my coaching badges just to be coaching young kids as well. Um, so and you don't mind that because some people would feel after so many years you'd want to go home even just to see some people. See, to be like. definitely, I want to go back home. I have a lot of majority of my uh, my family. Uh, some of my cousins, my grandma, everyone is over there. But I would love to go there. But which, uh, fortunately, um, like have to do something over here. But definitely, if I have a chance, I will go. Perry, there's uh, you guys run a lot of courses. We've talked about a couple of them, a lot of events. One of them is the Sari Soccer Fest, which I assume will be going ahead this year. It's been going for a long time. I've played a couple of games. I was actually managing. I was injured last year, so I was managing a team of uh, well, a fairly high caliber team. Jason Sherlock and a few other League of Ireland players were on that one. We managed to get over the line against the uh, the Love Hate team, featuring <laughs> Fran and John Boy and Cat Killer and all these kind of characters. Uh, you're, you've got a. It's going to go ahead this year in September. Yeah, we're hoping it'll go ahead. It's the, going to be the night. 19th okay. uh, annual Sari Soccer Fest, the 12th and 13th of September. It gets harder and harder to fund. It's uh, it's a big event, as you know, over two days in the Phoenix Park, and it probably costs about forty forty five thousand to stage it. Yeah, it's an amazing. It's a two day tournament. I don't know how many teams were there last year, but it seems like a, a yeah, there were forty men's teams, eight women's teams, yeah. eight or ten under thirteens, and eight or ten under fifteens. So it gets bigger and bigger every year, but it's becoming harder to fund. And um, fingers crossed, we'll be going ahead again this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we've already got we've got a team in mind for the Fair Play Cup next year. We just need to, <laughs> if we can change our penalty taker, we might have a chance. Some of the dead wood. I, oh, I hear exactly what you're saying. Listen, yeah. Aziz uh, Yusuf and Perry Ogden, chairman of Sari. Great to have the two of you in. Thanks oh, very pleasure much. Pleasure to be Thank here. You. Thanks a million. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Great stuff there from the two guys. I think you can check out the Sari website, sari.com, for any more detail on what they're all about. I think you got a sense of it there in Aziz's story. He seems to have derived a huge amount of confidence from playing football 
and doing some of the team building stuff around the playing of football. I think everyone's been in that situation he describes or something similar where you have to get up and speak in front of a group of strangers. That's tough enough when those people are all from your own country and maybe from your own neighbourhood, from your own class. Got to be seriously nerve wracking when you've just or you're, you're finding your way in a new country. I'm also very impressed that he picked up the sport at 11 and got so good at it. Murph, you might have noticed the touch of envy in my voice there. I'd mm. completed my entire 10,000 hours by the time I was 11. I mean, that's the whole idea, isn't it? That I play an hour of football a week, whereas when I was 11, basically all I was doing was, I would say I was putting in like a, like a, a trainee doctor, though that kind of level of hours into football when I was uh, 10 or 11. It was as though... Yeah, it was, it was as though I was compelled to do it by somebody, but I wasn't. It was just uh, doing myself. But uh, alas, uh, turns out the talent also um, plays a part in these things. Mm. Uh, along with, uh, oh, well, Owen. Oh, well. Last word in the Fair Play Cup. Good news back from Richie Sadler today. No major injuries to report. He seems relieved about that. Yeah, well, he told us, <laughs> I don't know if I'm speaking out of school, but he did end up in hospital the last time he played. <laughs> Uh, played. I think he played 90 minutes of a charity game or 70 minutes of a 90 minute ge- a charity game yeah. at the Den uh, in if, uh, Millwall had organised it and I think he actually had to miss his flight <laughs> and went to A&E afterwards so we're all very thankful that Richie suffered no other than just the, I'm sure a pain across his shoulders from you know carrying us for four games other than that pain I'm sure he's fine Jonathan Wilson is in Santiago for the Copa America Jonathan you wrote a piece at the weekend where you said major tournaments tend to be defined less by the quality of their football than by the narratives they generate uh, this has been a pretty good tournament so far on that score yeah absolutely I, mean, I, I think the you know, before the tournament you sense it might be quite a good one in that I think for the first time Certainly in recent Cup of America history, there were four genuine contenders to win it, maybe five, if you include Uruguay, the Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Chile, all had uh, good teams. But they, they also they all had obvious flaws and they all had things to, to prove. And, and that, that's sort of been borne out through the group stage. And then also you've had the issue of when most seriously of Arturo Vidal and his drink-driving charge, um, which you know they, they've... They seem to have gone against the Chilean code of conduct. I mean, I think certainly if Marcelo Bielsa had still been in charge, he he would have been kicked out of the squad. Uh, Jorge Sampaoli's kept him in, uh, and that's you know there's clearly a lot of debate about that. Uh, I guess their their reading of that is that he hasn't actually been convicted yet, although I, I'm not sure there's much doubt about what happened, um, and that therefore he he can keep playing for the national team until that 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 comes to court. And then you've had the whole issue of Brazil and Neymar, and and the. There's, the ongoing psychological damage from a, from a 7-1 defeat blows on the semi-final at the World Cup. And a team that had become absurdly dependent on one player. And there's one of the major, maybe even the most senior Brazilian columnist, Yuka Kfuri, uh, he, was, he, he wrote last week that he doesn't think any Brazil team has ever been so dependent on one player. And it's a very strange thing about watching them. It's, I mean, I, I go to the Cup of Nations a lot, and quite, quite often you get a team like Togo, who are totally dependent on, on Adebayor, or, or Liberia, who are totally dependent on George Weah. And you sort of, it's almost like that with Brazil, that every time they get the ball, they had to give it to Neymar. And that, that, that does two things. One is it makes it very, very easy to stop him. That You know, you put two or three players on Neymar, and you know, they, they have no attacking outlet. Uh, you know, it's not like Barcelona where you put two or three players on Messi and you've got Neymar and you've got Suarez. Um, and also, it just seems to have created a tremendous pressure on, on Neymar. And it's a little bit... It was, um, it was actually the, the Northern Irish journalist, James Young, made this point. He said, it's a bit like somebody who's in the in late 20s who's 
who's sort of doing well at work and you're professionally, everything's going well, then they go back home and stay with their parents for a couple of weeks and they just turn back into being a teenager and they become a sort of bratish, petulant fool. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's how Neymar behaved in those first two games. Got himself booked stupidly in the first one with the consequence that when he was a little bit unfortunately booked in the second one, he's out of the third match. Colombia keep winding up and eventually you know, he snaps at the final whistle, uh, headbutts Jason Murillo and, and then it, it appears how to go at the referee in the tunnel so he's got this four game back. Yeah, it does. A lot of it, as you said, it's so much of it ties into what happened at the World Cup. And not that Neymar imploded at the World Cup, he was obviously uh, literally kicked out of it. But there was this overall emotion to Brazil that you just thought couldn't be enough to carry them through and might ultimately be to their detriment, as was the case. Is Duncan not the kind of, kind of character who is charged with keeping a lid on that? Because if anybody looks like a man who doesn't get too head up about things, it's Dunga, but he doesn't seem to have been able to to channel that correctly so far. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's exactly the... I mean, I think that's exactly why they appointed him. They thought, you know, we, we need an absolute... You know, a wet blanket to calm everything down. And Dunga is absolutely that, both in his... You know, his uh, his demeanour and in the sort of football he plays, and I think in the friendlies, you know, they they won ten ten friendlies coming into the tournaments, and they'd been a much more uh, dogged, pragmatic approach then. And what happens two minutes in the first game against Peru? Uh, David Luiz plays a very strange. I mean, it's not clear whether he was trying to play a back pass or whether he himself was intending to then clear the ball. But he and Jefferson, the goalkeeper, get getting all kinds of trouble, and suddenly Peru won the up, and the panic sets in. And, and that game against Peru was crazily open. I mean, they ended up winning it two one thanks to an absolutely brilliant pass from Neymar in injury time uh, to set up a winner for Douglas Costa. But they they played really badly then, and it, you know against I guess Colombia was is a particularly emotional emotive uh, game for them, given it was against Colombia that Neymar got the injury. Um, but they, 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 just, they just ran straight into Colombia's trap. You could see exactly what Colombia were doing, that there was a, a, a policy of, 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 uh, of winding Neymar up. Uh, I don't think there's anything yeah, too um, outrageous that they did, but you know, there's a, a couple of little heavy challenges. There's a moment when um, I think it was Onyega, the right-back, dispossessed Neymar. Then he seemed to make a point of going back to beat Neymar yeah, as if to say, you know, you're so hopeless, even I, a right-back, can do this to you. Mm. Um, and and you know, Neymar snapped, nobody else seemed able to respond. And that game, I mean, Colombia ended up just scraping through, but in that game, Colombia looked really, really good. And you have to think, well, that's, you know, Brazil let them look good. Having said that, without Neymar, with Neymar suspended in the game uh, last night against Venezuela, without being brilliant, they looked much more, much better balanced side, um, they were they were you know went to the up, seemed completely in control, and then for whatever reason, Dunga decides he's got to close the game down when they were completely comfortable. And it's not like Venezuela have got huge amounts of attacking talent to be scared of. And he ended the game with Danny Alves playing on the right wing, with four centre backs on the pitch, and they just let Venezuela back into the game. But emotionally, they they, they crumbled in the last sort of ten fifteen minutes. Venezuela scored a goal coming from a, a, a free kick from from well, Arango's free kick was then followed in by Miku. Um, and so you actually had a moment with a couple of minutes to go when, when Elias, the, uh, well, he had been holding midfield, being pushed up as sort of the most advanced of the three central midfielders. He gets the ball in the centre circle in his own half, turns, there's nobody in the Venezuela half, and he just belts the ball in the corner. And you think, yeah, this is Brazil. This isn't sort of, this isn't even you know, England or Ireland kind of desperately clinging on, clinging on to one goal lead. This is, this is a side that you know, has, has defined itself by the quality of its football. And it's belting the ball in the corner and, and, and running down the clock. Philip Coutinho got his chance. How did he fit into all that? It doesn't sound like his kind of football. 
No, I mean he 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 wasn't bad, but he was he was largely peripheral. I mean the, the two players who really stood out actually for Brazil were were William, who I, I think is arguably the best player over the last year. But you know he, he's a dunga sort of player with his you know, very direct running. And then the player who, who really surpri- it was sort of a bit of a surprise. I sort of forgotten how good he was. Was was um, Rubinho, mm. who came back in the team. And you know, he played with a, a real composure and, and uh, real intelligence. I mean, I, I suppose you know he's thirty-one now, and, and maybe the the brattishness that he he once exemplified, maybe maybe he's he's grown out of that. But it, it was it was Rubinho and William who, who really carried it. Coutinho was fine, but I mean, he, he didn't stand out. And I, I'm I'm never convinced when Coutinho plays out on the left wing that I, I think he you know, he needs to be be a more central player. I saw quite a bit of criticism of the tournament structure in the in that the final group games are staggered, which doesn't it happens in the Six Nations in rugby still, but it doesn't happen in too many major soccer tournaments. Um, did that take away a little bit from a- any sense of excitement? Yeah, it did in all three groups. It, it, I mean, I presume they do it so that um, they get the TV right, maximum TV rights for every game, that everybody can see everything. But the problem is, I mean, Group A, uh, you, you had a situation that, that uh, Chile and Bolivia went into their final game knowing they were both through. And I think that took some of the edge off it. I mean, uh, Alexis Sanchez and Vidal were, were taken off at half-time uh, with Chile 2-0 up. Now, whether they'd have done that, yeah, had there still been that element of danger, I, I doubt. Bolivia, you know, once they'd gone behind, they didn't really seem bothered. You know, they, they ended up losing 5-0. You know, if, if they'd sort of been thinking, you know, we, we can't lose by more than two or three because of the goal different situation, maybe they'd have dug in a bit harder. So I, I think it did destroy a lot of the drama. And you know, last night, although in the, in the end, you know, both Brazil and Venezuela were clearly playing properly, playing to win, they both knew a draw would have taken them through. And Brazil would have gone through in top of the group. Venezuela would have gone through as a best, uh, best third-place team, unless it's been 2-2, which has gone through second. But you know, they, they could have played out a draw. Um, and and I, I think there's very few international teams who would actually start the game thinking that. But the, but the problem is, if it, if it had been 0-0 or 1-1 with half an hour to go, why would either side attack? And that would, I think, have been very unfair on the teams who, who played in the first game, on, on, well, on Colombia, who would have been the team in, in danger. As it was, Colombia went through because, because Brazil won the game. But you know, why even open the competition with that kind of doubt? I, I think, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, A, you open it up, up to collusion, and B, I, I think it just takes some of the drama away. I think there's something, um, just part of the intrigue of a tournament is in that final game, constantly checking what's going on in the other game, you know, what's happening there. And then the other two, the, the, the way the two games go, sort of play off against each other. It becomes a third factor in the game. It's the two teams actually playing, and then the news coming through from the other game, which affects how you, how you play. The quarterfinal lineup: it's Argentina, Colombia, Chile, Uruguay, Bolivia, Peru, and Brazil, Paraguay. Just on that Argentina, Colombia game, Leo Messi. It was his 100th match for Argentina the other night. He's spoken of the obligation of this generation to end their as a 22-year wait for a trophy. Do they sound like maybe they're putting too much pressure on themselves? Well, I, I think that pressure's just there. I, mean, I, I, I you know, whether Messi says that or not, people know that, and it's, yeah. it's not just that it's twenty-two years since they won it. It's the fact that in that time, they've won the World Under Twenty Championship five times. You know, this is a really, really good generation of players. And you look at this side, and, and I think the team that played the other night against Jamaica, I think it was either five or six of them had played in in two thousand and five when they when they won the Under Twenties. You know, there's there's Messi, there's Aguero, there's Mascherano, there's Zabaleta, Garay, Biglia. So yeah, six of them. Um, and Di Maria was there it's a seven um, so yeah I, I think there's a sense that really the last World Cup was the World Cup they should have won but they, they've got to end up with something um, I mean the strange thing about how Argentina have played is that every game they've, they've looked really good for about an hour and then the last half hour they, they seem to have 
I don't know, lost concentration or, or got a bit edgy and they, they've let the other team back in the game. So they haven't really convinced yet. I mean, I think they'll be fine against Colombia because Colombia will be without both Valencia and Carlos Sanchez, who are both suspended. I think they're two big losses. Sorry, Valencia's injured, Carlos Sanchez is suspended. And Carlos Sanchez was absolutely magnificent in the game against Brazil. And he marked Messi out of the game four years ago when they met in Santa Fe in the nil draw. He marked Neymar out of the game uh, last week. So I think Carlos Sanchez not being there is a, is a huge boost for, for Colombia, first over for Argentina. But it's, um, it's, it's interesting as well with Colombia. What do they do with Falcao? I mean, they've looked better every time he's come off. They looked better certainly yesterday when Jackson Martinez came on. So that's a big question for Peckerman to answer. That you know, Does he keep going with Falcao, the, the man he sort of made captain almost a vote of confidence in him? Or, or does he turn to one of his other many forwards? Here's just a last word, Jonathan, on uh, another piece of news. If it is indeed news, the Uruguayan journalist and author Victor Hugo Morales has said that he asked Diego Maradona, are you going to be running? Are you going to be standing uh, up against, well, not against Sepp Blatter anymore, but to replace Sepp Blatter, Maradona says... Yes, I am, and you can you can print that essentially. Uh, you have the authority to say that on my behalf. So, are you see is Diego Maradona an, an actual runner for FIFA? And if so, would you welcome our new Argentinian overlord? <laughs> I mean, I would be genuinely well. I suppose it's conceivable he might get uh, the, the votes he needs to be a candidate. There, there might be enough. I, mean, I think he needs what thirty odd people to to, um, to 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 put you forward. I suppose he you know, he might get that because he's still a hugely popular world figure. I think he'd be an absolutely disastrous president. I don't think there's anything in his his life, either professional or personal, that suggests he's got the capacity to do it. I don't think he's necessarily the you know this is a man with convictions for for possession of cocaine, a man who's had a, a history of serious uh, issues throughout his life. Yeah, is he really the man you want leading a, a new clean FIFA? Um, but you know the, the myth goes on of Maradona that you know, the more you look back at it, the more ridiculous it seems they ever appointed him as national manager before the last before the 2010 World Cup. Ah, it'd be a lot of fun though, Jonathan, wouldn't it? I mean, a lot of those misdemeanors are well in the past. Maybe that would be the payoff for all, all, all these, you know, all the investigative journalists who've patiently you know, gone through and, and sort of you know, produced all the evidence to, to bring down all these FIFA executives. That after 20 years of, of patiently doing that, suddenly you get presented with this sort of spinning whirly gig of madness and, and stories and controversy that he wouldn't be able to keep his mouth shut. He wouldn't be able to hide anything. You would have front page stories every day. So maybe, maybe, maybe this is just karma for those journalists, but he'd be a disastrous FIFA president. Jonathan Wilson in Santiago. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Yes, thanks. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, no, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. I don't like Jonathan pouring cold water on this Maradona for FIFA president story. I think Jonathan's just had too many good stories of the Copa America that he can't see. He's lost, the, he can't see the wood from the trees here. There I mean, has this to be room is to the dream. future of football. Yeah, there has to be room to dream, doesn't there? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it would just be a totally different kind of shambolic. And isn't that, you know, something to be wished what for? What does Sepplatter really do anyway? He's, he's, come on, he's a figurehead. Yeah, he just flies around and shakes people's hands. And doesn't work on the flights, he said that. Yeah. So, and he spends most of his time flying. So all Maradona has to do is fly around, not work on the flights, press a bit of flesh, try to remain calm in m- maybe volatile situations. Mm. And, uh, you know, a few other bits and bobs. Yeah. Actually, it is sounding like a bad idea, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Just the more you were talking there, the more I realised that this isn't really a job for, 
for Diego Maradona. All right, well, we've just reached the end, or are reaching the end, Murph, of our second podcast recorded today. Uh, if you want to tell the people, back sell, forward sell, just sell the other part of the program, please. Yeah, we have uh, Owen Kelly, third highest scorer in uh, championship history, uh, highest outside of Kilkenny. I mean, I think we, that's nearly a thing now. Kilkenny have won so many more All-Irelands that we, we, like, we should be taking them out of the equation. Who's the highest scorer in the championship outside of Kilkenny? The answer to that question, Owen Kelly. Uh, and Owen uh, joined us to talk to us about uh, two pretty dominating wins for the Ireland finalists from last year, Tipperary and Kilkenny. Mm-hmm. We had Frank Warren, nearly but not quite confirming the Andy Lee-Billy Joe Saunders fight for September 19th in Thulman Park. And there was also Dave Hannigan on a pretty dramatic US Open if you decided to stay up until half four to watch it, which I'm sure many of you did not. But uh, yes, uh, Justin Johnson had a put to win the US Open. Then he had a put to force the playoff. And then he had a putt to confirm the fact that he had just lost the US Open. So three putts on the 18th green uh, meant Jordan Spieth wins his uh, second golf uh, major back-to-back. All right, and he's halfway towards the Grand Slam. Just get it all over and done within one season there, Jordan. Retire, then. That will do the yeah. job at that stage. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. You can check us out on Twitter at Second Captains. Also, if you want to get onto irishtimes.com forward slash podcast, you can have a listen to many of the other shows out there and ready for you now. Thanks for listening again. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.